Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. All right, well, should we talk about this freaking crazy story? Yes. Oh my gosh, this is a really insane story. That movie was good. <laughs> So good and so frustrating so at the same frustrating. time. Frustrating. Like afterwards, I was just like, I mean, I obviously I love good men, but man, I really hate bad ones. <laughs> like I yeah. hate toxic men so oh, much. <laughs> it was scary how awful it got. Mm-hmm. And also, I looked up an article after because I was like, okay, how much of it was true? And mm-hmm. like. They did a very good job at making that movie very accurate. Pretty much all of yeah. it. Yeah. I found one too that it was like myths and facts that we can go into as well. But it's like crazy how much of it was real. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Okay. Well, let's introduce. So hello, everyone. Yes. Welcome back. Hi. To More Than Amuse. We just jumped right on in because listen, we are talking about a very crazy story today. Oh my gosh. Yes, we are. If uh, you have listened to our, like, I think I titled it, like, Bad Mix of Misogyny and Marriage A very episode. good title, by the way. <laughs> then you'll hear about a lot of bad examples of couples in the art world um, where, or even some outside of the art world where women were just undervalued or underappreciated even within their own marriages mm. as far as their talents went. And this one is a story we ran across during that research that was just too insane to like throw in with all the others. Mm-hmm. Like it needed its own episode because I can't even imagine how her husband got away with this for so long. Yeah. And oh, it's just horrible. It's horrific. Yeah. And I feel like it also like paints a picture so well of of like the way that women are encouraged to be makes them so much more susceptible to abuse sometimes mm-hmm. you know and yes. to be taken advantage of oh totally especially during this time period yes. this was like during the 50s 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and i think like if you look back at that time like all of the ads and like media and everything else just depicted women as like the perfect little housewife and like the like necessary tool for their husband to like live a perfect life and other than that there was like very little independence yeah absolutely um, and it's like it's this tricky thing too because when you like watch the movie or you hear these stories it's very easy to be like oh my gosh why couldn't she have just done that you know like she should have mm-hmm. just done that she shouldn't have done that she shouldn't have accepted that but then I kind of like took a step back of like okay there are years and patterns here of like mental like abuse almost you know like where her mm-hmm. husband was like definitely a narcissist right like I feel like oh, we can accept yeah. and living with that is hard and crazy mm-hmm. and so I think it's like this like of course she should have and you know done not put up with all of that but yet there are so many other factors and like when you're with someone who is like that it can affect how you see yourself so much that it's like you don't even really see a way out of it. You know what I mean? I agree. And um, if we haven't kind of hinted at it enough now, um, the person that we are talking about is Margaret Keene, who was actually born with the name Peggy Doris Hawkins. So I don't know if like they wrote Peggy on her birth certificate or if it was Margaret, but she was just called Peggy her entire life until she started going by Margaret. Oh, yeah. But her name was Peggy at birth. Huh. Interesting. She's actually still alive. Fun I fact. She's um, 93? 
Yeah, 93 years old. She was born on September 15th, 1927 in Nashville, Tennessee. Cool. And... She's famous for paintings of subjects with big eyes. Yes. They're very Tim Burton-esque. They are, which is cool because Tim Burton actually directed the movie about her called Big Eyes. So Like funny that like that fits like so much of like, oh yeah, that it worked like out. Tim Burton paintings almost. You know, like it's very it's yes. on brand. No, I think it was like the perfect um little collaboration there. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, really great movie. We're probably going to talk about it a yeah. lot. Um, it's pretty accurate from what we were saying. Yeah. Which is awesome. And also sad because it yeah. really depicted how horrible it was. So it's like, oh, great. That's that's true. Ugh, nice. Yeah. It's really sad. So definitely go check it out. Very well made. Mm-hmm. I will say her style, like, personally, isn't, like, my favorite. Like, I don't think I would ever buy one of her paintings. But I can appreciate, like, the art and everything that goes into it. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's not my personal style either of paintings that I would purchase. But I think it almost, like, that almost, like, adds to the whole, like, conversation of like how he was able to sell it and like turn it into almost like this event when she was the artist who was really loved it just for art's sake at least of how it appeared yes. in the movie and how it was portrayed and I am it seems like that mm-hmm. was the pretty accurate portrayal yeah and it's interesting too to kind of look at it and think if like if she had actually been the one selling them and promoting them would it have gotten as popularized and as far as it yeah had. And honestly, like, I don't know. I think I ran across across a quote from her that said that, like, half of selling art was being a salesman yeah. and, like, having the showmanship and the charisma. And she didn't believe that she had that personally, mm-hmm. but she knew that he did. And so I'm sure he, like, helped popularize it. But there's a difference between being a supportive spouse and helping your wife sell her artwork and taking credit for your wife's artwork. Yes, Absolutely. And I think that's the important difference there. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's go into her life a little bit. So, like we said, she was born Peggy Doris Hawkins in 1927 in Tennessee. Yeah, this part was super interesting. Um, When she was two years old, her eardrum was permanently damaged during a mastoid operation, which I don't know exactly what a mastoid operation is, but... She wasn't able to hear properly, and so she actually understood people by watching their eyes to understand what they were saying. Oh. So I thought that was kind of interesting that maybe that would have started her fascination with eyes mm-hmm. um, from a very young age. And she actually started painting at a very young age as well. At age 10, she was taking classes at the Watkins Institute, and she painted her first oil painting of two little girls And then um, was also known around her church for her sketches of angels with big eyes and floppy wings. Wow. So, I mean, that's cool because it's like it goes just from the very beginning, you know, of like Mm -hmm. and to the future of like where there was the Mm -hmm. oh, was it her paintings or his paintings? Like she Mm -hmm. has been inspired by this and has very obvious you know, inspiration from it from the time she was a little girl, you know, which is cool. Yes, exactly. And I thought it was kind of interesting in the movie, too. Like, this is a little bit later, but she does a couple of portraits of children or a lady in the film and signs it with her name. And it's just kind of interesting that, like, I don't know, when her husband started taking credit for it, then nobody was able to be like, wait, no, like his wife's the one who painted the portrait of me with you know like I guess it was just so less she was like so lesser known before that no one really thought about it but no I know it's so weird next so it says at age age 18 she attended the Trapagan School of Design in New York City for a year um and then she began working painting clothing baby cribs in the 1950s until she finally began a career painting the portraits her style is known as kitsch which I'm going to define. Yeah, really I quick. don't know what that was. I was just going to ask. I know it's very similar to camp. Kitsch means like art objects or design considered to be in poor taste because of excessive gar- garishness or sentimentality, but sometimes appreciated in an ironic or knowing way. So it's just like things that are kind of 
popular, like little figurines or like china dolls or something like that that are like overly popularized and just kind of like cutesy, Uh I guess you could say. And so because the fact that she painted mainly like women, children, and then like animals, um, her style is considered kitsch, which isn't really like fine art or appreciated as much, but it is like popularized and usually the general public enjoys it. Got it. So not so much like for the art galleries or to be well respected, but for the more quote unquote common people. Yes. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So- her very first husband was Frank R- Richard Ulbrich, mm-hmm. right? And then they had a daughter together, and her daughter's name was Janie, I believe? Yes. Mm-hmm. And she plays a major role in the film yes. throughout the whole thing. Um, she was super, super young when she divorced her first husband. And divorce, I don't think it ever mentions why she left him. I couldn't find anything about it, and it didn't really say it in the movie either. Yeah, there was, like, connotations Um, that it was, like, a situation that they just, like, needed to get out of. Yeah, so I almost wonder if it was kind of abusive in some way, Mm -hmm. but we don't know. (laughs) But her and her daughter left, and her daughter was pretty young when that happened. Okay, so then enters Walter Keene. So, and they met... I love that you're just shaking your head in just disgust. (laughs) Um, So in the 1950s, is when yeah they met um and as walter keen told the story um he was at the height of his popularity and he saw her sitting alone at a well-known north beach bistro and he was attracted by her large eyes at the time walter was also married which is interesting um but he worked as a real estate salesman and painted just kind of on the side And then he would later tell reporters, however, that he had given up his highly successful real estate career in 1947, (laughs) which is just obviously very consistent. Yeah, it's just annoying. Uh, Margaret said from the beginning she found him very suave, gregacious, and charming. (sighs) And they got married super fast. Um, I don't know how realistic the part in the film is where her first husband was going to try and kick custody from her as a single mom and that's why they got married oh, yeah i think she just kind of fell in love with them super fast and was very charmed and they got married mm-hmm. but it could be a mix of both i know margaret Keene did have some say in the movie itself like she met amy adams who played her Which role so and cool. had met with tim burton yeah. yeah so i'm sure more of it's realistic than you think but there's probably some things that are dramatized yeah, of course so yeah, I don't know exactly why they got married, but they got married in 1955 in Hawaii. Yes, which I'm sure just add to the excitement and like almost like spell of it all because they went to Hawaii mm. to get married. You know what I mean? Yep, like a tropical location right off the bat, mm-hmm. like like very, I don't know, like a, a spectacle. That's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. He definitely knew how to reel them in. I <laughs> yeah, guess honestly. So she started selling her big eye paintings immediately. Oh, I mean, he did. He started Mm -hmm. selling her paintings immediately. Excuse me. But unknown to her, um, he claimed it as his own work. And Mm -hmm. the original venue for his sales um, was the Hungry Eye, which was a comedy club in San Francisco. Yeah, basically the paintings were portrayed or displayed at this comedy club. He would be there and you know obviously sell his paintings um but take that credit Mm -hmm. um and then she later explained because she once she realized that he was being deceptive she still remained silent about it and she said that the reason why is because she was afraid of him because he threatened to have her quote-unquote done in if she ever said anything can you imagine like your husband comes home and he's like by the way i took credit for your work and by the way if you tell anyone i'll kill you well, and I just wonder, too, of, like, how how did she find out? You know, I wonder how accurate mm-hmm. it is in the movie. And, like, originally was he like, no, this is better because... And I think that's what it, mm-hmm. it he started. Like, this is better. You know, people want to know the artist. We're actually doing this for each other. You know, like, we're one. We're married. So my mm-hmm. success is your success. Like, 
using those like type of tactics, you know, where it's like, yeah, but like you're not painting it. (laughs) But it's still mine. Yeah. And it's hard because it's not even like we talked about Einstein Mm -hmm. and his wife. It's not even that they were collaborating on something like these were hers. And so to me, that makes it even harder to like rationalize what he was thinking Mm -hmm. Because, like, he didn't have any reason to take any credit for anything that she was doing. It's just crazy. And, yeah, I can totally understand where she was a little bit like, okay, well, as long as they're – yeah, it says here that she um, publicly acknowledged him as the artist on multiple occasions and later claimed it was torturous for her, but rationalized the situation saying at least they were being shown. And that would be hard because, like, you'd want your art to be shown and sold and loved mm-hmm. and everything, but at the same time knowing that you're not the one getting credit for your own work. It's this tricky thing because, like, obviously as, like, an artist and a creator, like, what you want is for your work to be known and to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, this interesting situation where suddenly it was, but it wasn't even mm-hmm. attached to her. And, like, I can imagine of like oh like if one of my songs was like written and sang by a very famous person I mean and I let's say my name for some reason didn't get listed on as a co-writer I mean granted the royalties which is a whole other situation (laughs) but theoretically if I was still getting financially compensated for my contribution even though it wasn't I wasn't listed as a co-writer it'd be this interesting thing where it's like okay I am making money from this it is successful people really like it but nobody knows I wrote it like I can understand Mm -hmm. that like that's like weird things and I can imagine that if she really was just doing it for the art's sake and because she loved it there probably was that little bit like well I still get a paint and I do love it and so that's all that matters is that it's successful and I still get a paint but in reality like Mm -hmm. that's just things that he could have used to turn it against her yeah and I mean the hard part is is that like you mentioned royalties she actually got to see the benefits of some of this money Like, yes, I'm sure he was in control of it and did his own thing with it. And as we'll later find out, he wasn't that great about, like, Mm -hmm. handling it. But, like, her life was getting better because of these paintings that were being Mm -hmm. sold. And that would be hard if, like, you're benefiting from it. The only thing she didn't have was the credit. And it's like, okay, when it comes down to it, like, how many of us would be willing to throw a fit over that? Mm -hmm. When it's like, oh, I've got a good thing going, you know? Like, that would be hard. And especially when it's, like, you're also, like, tied to an abuser who's threatening you for it, you know? Like, that mm-hmm. just even adds more to the situation where it's, like, you know, kind of like how I said, like, when I was watching the movie, it's, like, why didn't she just take credit? But then it's, like, when you consider all these things of, like, like you mentioned, she was benefiting. She still was able yeah. to paint and her work was being shown. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you can't just fault her immediately for that. No, definitely. Especially when we take into consideration the time period. Yes, absolutely. Just, yeah, really, really awful situation. Um, And it just continued. In 1957, he began exhibiting the big eye paintings as his own. Um, The work was shown on a wall in the Bank of America. He took nine paintings to New Orleans and sold them during Mardi Gras. Well, he claims to. (laughs) I don't know if there's like what happened there. Um, they also had a Washington Square outdoor show in New York City and a trip in August to the Sheraton Hotel in Chicago and then another small East Side Gallery the same month. Dang. So, yeah, just kind of went crazy and he was organizing all of it and everything. And apparently he kind of began developing some mythology about himself and even Margaret, of course, to a lesser extent. Um, and then he started promoting, like, the painting keens. So mm-hmm. it's almost like he saw the benefit of having his wife paint, too, and saw that there could be a profit there. And so then that's when he started being like, oh, well, she paints, too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But I almost wonder how much of the movie is real, where she kind of was like, people ask me if I paint, and I want to be able to say yes. Uh-huh. So, like, can I tell them that I, like, yes? And, and like, she created, like, a whole different style mm-hmm. that could have been her paintings. And I think that part was real because I think I found something where they said that critics actually liked her fake style a lot more than her original style Oh, really because it was a little bit more high art and that was something that he like really struggled with as well because like her fake art was getting more credit than his fake than his (laughs) art art that was actually hers that was actually hers (laughs) 
So, yeah, I almost wonder if maybe that mythology, he was like, okay, we'll turn it into, like, a whole thing. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it might have been her saying, like, look, I want to at least be able to tell people that I paint. Yeah, and not have to hide this. So, kind of crazy. And the sad part is he got so popular. Yeah. Andy Warhol said, I think what Keene has done is just terrific. It has to be good. If it were bad, so many people wouldn't like it. (laughs) And Andy Warhol was like one of the most famous painters at the time. But however, there was a lot of criticism, which I think we saw in the movie as well. Yeah. Um, So there was essentially like a portrait done, right, for the World Fair. And there was, yeah, it was created especially for that. And a critic from the New York Times did not like it (laughs) at all. (laughs) He said... I quote, the most grotesque announcement yet from the New York World's Fair. Um, And he described Keene as a painter celebrated for grinding out formula pictures of wide-eyed children of such appalling sentimentality that his product has become synonymous among critics' definition of tasteless hack work. And then the painting contains about 100 children and hence is about 100 times as bad as the average Keene. And just like it shows in the film... It led to them pulling the painting from being displayed at the fair. (laughs) And Keene from, of course, being super pissed. Uh, However, it was a very interesting painting. It was. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's interesting because there obviously were people like were able to see through it. Like because in a way it's correct. He is a hack and he was just grinding out the formula for it because he wasn't the artist. You know, there was no story of, like, how he was inspired by it. And I'm sure that that read through, you know, of, like, when Mm -hmm. he was talking about his art art and selling his art, he wasn't treating it how an artist would treat their own work because he wasn't. Like, he just wasn't No, yeah. He was looking at it like a businessman. Like, how many can we produce? Sadly, it didn't explain this in the movie. I guess it kind of alluded to it, but, like... At the height of the artwork's popularity, apparently he had Margaret painting nonstop for 16 hours a day. Oh, my gosh. She's like a slave to him. Uh Uh-huh. Just like, as it showed it in the film, like locked up in a little room, all alone, just painting constantly. Yeah. And apparently that was very true. Like, he had her in there constantly just painting different things that could reproduce them on, like, prints plates cups and like all sorts of stuff like great business move horrible and not humane in any way no artist is gonna like i mean like if you really enjoyed it then you could paint for 16 hours a day on your own accord but you probably wouldn't do that every day for years upon years upon years (laughs) and not creative Mm. in any way and i'm sure her creativity suffered from that as well because like you can't do that (laughs) that's not Ugh, it's just so awful that he would do that. The, a very side conversation to this whole thing, separate from just their relationship, is just kind of the discussion of like art and business, you know, mm-hmm. where of course it was a really good, smart business decision to have these paintings mass produced, to sell them on posters, to sell them on plates. And in a way, you know, I really do like that because. I think art should be accessible and therefore then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden these paintings were able to be in everybody's homes because they did posters and they did a thing so that the, you know, not the rich people who could spend thousands slash millions of dollars on paintings, you know, could display artwork. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the critics take on it where they obviously viewed it as lesser art because of that. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, you know, if you are mass producing things and you're painting for 16 hours a day, it's maybe not, it's not creative. You know what I mean? Like it's not the same thing. And I mean, I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like, it's this interesting thing of like creating art for art's sake, but then also turning around and like being able to make money and turn your art into a business. Yes, exactly. Cause I think like if we look at a direct contrast of this, we look at, um, Beatrix Potter who did a similar thing with hers right where she had prints and she had cups and wallpaper and um, sheets and blankets and stuffed animals and all sorts of things with her art but it was on her own accord and kind of under her complete control so it didn't ever get to 
overwhelming or oversaturated or too like kitschy or weird yeah. because she was able as the artist to have like artistic direction over how it was handled mm-hmm. and I think the difference here is that Walter who as far as records show never painted a single thing in his life um had complete control over her work and so that means that there was no like thought into a lot of these things that were happening, he was literally slapping it onto anything he possibly could in order to make money. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it goes back to like, you know, obviously as artists, there's a benefit to trying to separate ourselves from our artwork enough that we could, you know, potentially make money while at the sta- same time still like maintaining that artistic integrity and doing only mm-hmm. what we want with our artwork. You know what I mean? Actually, one of the times in the movie that I felt the worst for Margaret was when she was walking through the grocery store Mm. and turned the corner and the artwork was everywhere. And then you could see she was kind of being haunted by these big eye paintings on everyone's faces. They did a really good job. They like made everyone's face in the movie turn into these big eyed characters. And I'm sure like her art and what she loves and the style that she had accumulated and created began to kind of disgust her. Yeah. Because not only was she not getting credit for it, but then it was turning into something that she had no control over. And probably didn't want it to turn into. And if she, like, did, that's fine. But, like, she didn't have a say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just, uh, I just can't even imagine how frustrating and, like, isolating that would be to, like, know, be the only person in the world that knows that that's what you're creating and yet have, like, no control over the matter at all. Yeah. Ugh. It just made, I just felt so icky. Like, for lack of a better word, icky is the best one of just watching it. Like, it was, it was very sad. And watching it was. It's super sad. Sucky. But, so they ended up (sighs) getting a divorce. So in 1965, I believe, is Mm -hmm. when they divorced. And I also read that even though after they divorced, she would still send so her and her daughter moved to Hawaii after they divorced and she would still send him paintings from Hawaii to San Francisco to maintain it which is like crazy to me that she had moved out moved away because she could at least recognize it was a toxic situation but yet she was still giving him paintings and yeah finally she got the courage um just like it shows in the film she announced on a radio broadcast in 1970, that she was the creator of the paintings and not her ex-husband, Walter Keene. Um, they, so this is a part that wasn't shown in the film. They originally, a paint out is what they called no it, but basically a paint off was arranged by a San Francisco examiner reporter. So, like, a newspaper reporter in California was like, hey, like, let's arrange this whole thing. And it was going to be in, like, a public square. And it would be, like, a big deal. And um, Walter didn't show up. And so it was only after that that she ended up suing him in 1986. And she sued both Walter and the USA Today in federal court for an article claiming Mm -hmm. that Walter was the real artist. And in the trial room is when the judge famously ordered both of them to create the painting in the courtroom to determine who was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so funny that he still was so committed to this where he said that he couldn't because he had a sore shoulder. Whereas, mm-hmm. of course, Margaret was able to complete her painting. No problem. And then and after a three week trial, the jury awarded her four million dollars in damages and after the verdict, Keen said, I really feel that justice has triumphed. It's been worth it, even if I don't see any of that $4 million. And then a federal appeals court upheld the verdict of defamation in 1990, but overturned the $4 million damage award. I don't know why. Yeah, she never received any of it because he didn't have any of it. So I wonder if maybe that's why they overturned the oh, $4 million damage, because the money was gone. Got it. But... Yeah, at that point, she didn't care. She just wanted everyone to know that she did it. And it was definitely worth it at that point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. One of the cool things I read is that um, Keen talked about how she was, how the eyes were kind of windows to the soul and that their expressions on the children's faces were her own deepest feelings. And so while she was living with her husband, there was like sad looking children in very dark settings. 
but that after she moved to Hawaii and then she got into like astrology, palmistry, handwriting analysis, and transcendental meditation, Mm -hmm. which sounds interesting, and then later became a Jehovah's Witness, that her work took on a happier, brighter style. Oh. And she even explains that now many galleries advertise her artworks as having tears of joy or tears of happiness in the children's eyes. And she has said herself that, like, the paintings of children are in paradise, and that's what she thinks the world's going to look like when God's will is done. So it kind of shows, like, a whole new perspective in, like, how her work was, like, how she felt when she was living with Walter, Uh as opposed to, like, now when she's on her own and has, like, more control over her life and her artwork. Totally. And I think it goes back to kind of, like, how the critics would criticize it. You know, at that Mm -hmm. time this is the that was the emotional place that she was in you know she was miserable miserable. and so of course that would translate through the art that Mm -hmm. she was creating yeah and it actually that probably attributed to a lot of the fascination though Mm -hmm. because you have these little pure children with just like absolute devastation in their faces and walter could never explain why his own art because it wasn't his (laughs) there's like a joke in the movie of like when he's like, what am I supposed to tell people? And she's like, well, I guess you can't tell them that you have a fascination with little girls. And it's like, yeah, like, why? <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I know, because I'm sure someone could have totally twisted it and been like, oh, yeah, he's a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy that it went on for as long as it did. Mm-hmm. And, like, how cool is it that it ended in a paint-off? Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Like, a trial in court, and then the judge is like, okay, grab some canvas and paints. It's time to have a paint-off. we'll see what's really true. I just think it's so cool. And, of course, it was the only way they could have really settled Uh it. No, you're right. Because, like, what better way to prove it than to be like, okay, well, let's see who can paint right now. It goes back to me, like, wow, like, he really committed to the bit. Also, another thing that I want to mention that is true is so during the trial, Walter actually, um, like, he was his own lawyer. And that's true. Mm-hmm. And I was texting Stani about it where I was like, that like gives me major Ted Bundy vibes because it totally And was. that just shows yeah. it's like there's both like narcissists, psychopaths who, I mean, obviously one is a more extreme version of the other. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just the overconfidence and just like the depending on this charisma to just completely take advantage of women. Yeah, exactly. They're both psychotic, and it was really scary to watch him in court. And then, like, I thought it was interesting how they had the judge kind of tell him, like, stop with the acting. Yeah, like, stop like, with the theatrics. Like, just do what you need to do. Um, Luckily, Margaret's life turned out great. She met a Honolulu sports writer, Dan McGuire, mm-hmm. in 1970 and married him. And she credits him for helping her become less timid and afraid after... A horrible marriage and divorce, <laughs> of course. Um, she actually stayed in Hawaii for 25 years, which sounds like paradise, yeah. and then <laughs> returned to California in 1991. Um, she lives there now with her daughter Jane still and her son-in-law. And um, even though she's getting hospice care while living in her home, uh, she also still continues to paint. And I think she even has her own studio in San Francisco. Oh, that's cool. So. And also I was reading too that like she still paints every day. Like it's still Mm -hmm. just very much a part of who she is and just genuinely just like what she loves to do. Yes. But at least she doesn't have to do it for 16 hours. On her own accord now, which is of course great. (laughs) Oh yeah. Which is crazy. It actually is cool. So after she got credited with the artwork, she actually did portraits of Joan Crawford, Natalie Wood, and Jerry Lewis. Mm. And then in the 1990s, Tim Burton who is a keen art collector, which makes sense, yes. um, actually commissioned her to paint a portrait of his then-girlfriend. Oh, cool. And then it also said that her big-eye paintings influenced toy design, which makes so much sense. Um, also a thing called Little Miss No Name, Susie Sad-Eye Dolls, and the cartoon The Powerpuff Girls, which if you look at The Powerpuff Girls, wow. I can totally see the influence. Totally. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So that was kind of crazy to see. I was like, oh, yeah, like I could totally see how her like popular artwork would have influenced most of like cartoons Mm -hmm. and dolls and toys 
in general. So that was kind of cool. And then, of course, that movie came out about her life in 2014 and which caused a resurgence of interest in her work. So like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, she maintains that gallery in San Francisco that, of course, has the largest collection of her work in the world. Yep. Which is so cool. So good for her. Like a happy 90-year-old woman with a lot of life accomplishments Mm -hmm. finally got credit for her work and she just gets to paint every day and enjoy the rest of her life. And also finally got to be married to a man who wasn't the worst to her. Yeah, appreciated her. And, like, helped her regain her confidence instead of locking her in a room to paint for hours upon hours upon hours. Much, much better. Yeah, it was bad. Um, And then kind of some other things I found, it was, like, I talked about it a little bit, the facts or fiction Mm -hmm. of the movie. Um, Walter Keene claimed to paint the big eyes until his death. That's completely true. Up until the day he died, he claimed that he was the painter he never produced or sold another painting after the court trial because, uh, of course, he couldn't. But he continued to claim that he was the one who painted them. I just think that's so funny that, like, the fact that at the same time he wasn't able to paint them again and never, mm-hmm. like, showed himself painting it, yet he was still like, no, it was me. It's like, really? Like, because there is zero proof and you're not even willing to yep. prove it. I know, like you didn't even try. Like the amount of delusion. (laughs) Yeah, it's so sad. And then it also talked a little bit about how she did have that different style. And there's a quote from him saying, Margaret, it is true, paints eyes a little like those which her husband is famous, but hers are not so big and belong as unvaryingly to nubile girls as his belong to what appear to be war waifs. And later in the article, the reporter even said that critics thought that her style was superior to his. But now we know that it was all her paintings. Um, and then also in the movie, like, it kind of shows that there was, like, almost like a a brawl in the nightclub that kind of immediately caused the popularity, or at least the curiosity in the paintings, which apparently mm-hmm. was, like, mostly true. Because in the movie, they capitalized that on that to continue, you know, bringing people into the club and to see the paintings. And apparently mm-hmm. that, yes, they absolutely did fight. Um, and apparently they even sued each other over it. But then, like, I guess there's just no way to know for sure if it was completely done for the publicity or, you know, like, there's not really a way to know for sure. Which I thought was yeah. super interesting, too. <laughs> um, this one was funny. Uh, in the movie, he never tries to paint the big eyes himself. But actually, in real life, um, it said that... It's true that Walter could not paint, but not for lack of effort. When she first confronted him, when Margaret first was like, what are you doing? Those are mine. He was like, oh, like, it'll be confusing if I correct my lie. How about you just teach me to paint these? Mm. And so he actually tried to mimic her style so that he could, like, take credit for it as well. Um, But he wasn't able to do it, even though he tried a lot. Wow. And then also apparently the fact that he stole the Parisian street scenes and peddled them as his own, that was also true that he was doing that as well. So he never as far as we know, Walter never had a painting ever. Wow. He just so and then before he started taking Margaret's paintings, he was doing it for another painter. Mhm. Which is just insane. Yeah. So like he's not an artist <laughs> and that's probably why he didn't even try to paint anything in court because he like knew he couldn't because he had already tried the next one is that nobody ever visited the Keen mansion um because in the movie it very much portrays it as you know no one was allowed there which was not true um however it was true that nobody including even her daughter was allowed to go into the studio um, but apparently, mm-hmm. like, he would invite a lot of celebrities and socialites into their home. And apparently there's a quote from his memoir, which just cracks me up that he wrote a memoir. Yeah, what an idiot. Know, and said, everybody was screwing everybody. Sometimes I'd go to bed and there'd be three girls in the bed. And the Beach Boys were among the many visitors to the to their pool. However, Margaret rarely even met any of these people because she was always painting. And this part's creepy. Even when he left the house, he would call her every hour to ensure she hadn't left. Oh. 
talk about controlling. Yeah. Um, this part made me so sad. So it is a fact that Walter threatened to have Margaret killed, and we talked about that. There's a quote from her where she said, He wouldn't allow me to have any friends. If I tried to slip away from him, he'd follow me. We had a chihuahua, which they had as a little poodle in the oh, movie. Yeah. And because I loved that little dog so much, he kicked oh. it. And so finally, I had to give the dog away. He was very jealous and domineering. And all along, he said, if you ever tell anyone, I'm going to have you knocked off. I knew he knew a lot of mafia people. Oh, my gosh. So it's like he wouldn't even let her have enjoyment from like a little animal. Like he was so jealous and controlling and domineering that he like literally would not let her have any enjoyment in her life. Oh, I did not see that quote until just now. And <sighs> I hate that. Yeah, it like literally made me so angry because I was like, oh my gosh, like if someone ever tried to like kick Winnie. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> I like I would like kill them with my bare hands. Like, don't you dare touch my dog. <laughs> and also like what kind of person kicks a dog? Like, I know, especially like a little tiny, like a little. It's so sad. And it just made me so sad that like he wasn't willing to even let her have enjoyment from like a tiny little animal yeah. that literally couldn't do any harm. Yeah. Like what was it going to do? It can't tell anyone that she's yeah, not going to. So that's like, not going to share their secret with the world. It's a puppy. Yeah. So it's just like, what the heck? Like how awful of a person do you have to be in order to like treat someone like that? Yeah. One thing that is fiction is that in the movie it depicts him as attacking the new the critic from the new york times that was the reason mm -hmm. why it got taken out of the world fair he attacks him with a fork in the movie um but that didn't happen that that was the dramatized no. thing <laughs> yeah there was the article about the world fair painting that said that it was awful yes. which we read above but he never tried to attack <laughs> that'd be great though but no yeah I mean, that we know of. Maybe he did it privately. <laughs> but, um, also, another thing, she didn't tell the truth after becoming a Jehovah's Witness. It was kind of, I think she challenged him to that paint off in the square before she even became a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like mostly fiction. Like it wasn't because of her religion that she decided to come forward. Like it was so heavily depicted in the movie. Yeah. Um, it kind of like happened sort of in different ways. But um, in real life, she actually credits her third husband with helping her decide to tell the truth completely. So mm -hmm. I'm guessing she was already married by the time that came forward. Yeah. So that little like timeline after she left Walter is a little twisted from the movie to how it really happened. Dang. Well, at least mm. she was with someone at the end who. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then, of course, we talked about that. Um, they did have that paint off in the courtroom, mm -hmm. which is really, really cool. And then, as we mentioned, too, she never saw that $4 million because he mm -hmm. had spent their entire fortune. So total idiot. He can't even keep track of the money frauded his way into getting I know kind of a fun little fact, though. Lana Del Rey actually wrote two tracks for the movie. Oh, yeah which is awesome. There's actually one called Big Eyes. And when it started playing the movie, I started laughing because I had already titled this episode Big Eyes and Big Lies. And that's literally some of the lyrics in the oh, song. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So great, great song. Definitely go check it out. And then her other song, um, I Can Fly, that she wrote, it rolls during the credits. She actually got nominated for a Golden Globe. For oh, the really? Big Eye song, but as we know, she's never won an award for her music, which is awful, as far as I could yeah, find. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know. I don't think so either. I know she's been nominated, yeah. but. And they were like, the article I read was hoping that she would win for this one because of her songs for The Great Gatsby that got nominated and didn't oh, win. yeah. Which is also very sad because that is a wonderful soundtrack. So, yeah, kind of a little moment of sadness for lana del rey there for some great <laughs> original songs that haven't maybe gotten the credit yeah young and beautiful yeah. for the great gatsby soundtrack i forgot about mm -hmm. i loved that song yeah i still love that, that was like song. stunning i'm like how did she not win anything for that? I know. <laughs> anyway 
But yeah, both of those songs are phenomenal as well. So definitely check them out. And the movie for sure. I actually put the movie on our book list, even though it's not a book. Oh, yeah. You can go rent it on Amazon. And it was pretty cheap. It was like, what, $3? Yeah, $3 to rent it. So definitely worth it. It was really great. It was. It was a really good movie. Like I said, it made me very angry, but it was a really good movie. And I think it's really cool to see, like, they didn't have to dramatize it that much because it was already that crazy of a story. Which almost, like, makes it even so much more horrifying because it's like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, this poor woman. Yeah, where they're like, oh, we can just tell the truth, actually. This is an insane enough story. It'll be fine. Like, we can just tell it exactly how it happened which i guess is how you know it's a crazy story that the movie version is mostly completely accurate so sad and i think like the perfect example of like someone taking credit for their spouse's work yeah like and getting away and kind of like we talked about at the beginning like i don't know how much how accurate this is of course to her actual feelings but there's a line from the movie where amy adams pretty much says like you know, I went from being a young girl to being a wife to being a mother and there never really was much sense of personal identity. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's almost like the breeding ground for people to get taken advantage of. You know what I mean? Like someone who maybe doesn't feel super concrete with who they are or have the confidence to really stick up for themselves. Like, you know, bad people can signal those people out super easy and, take advantage of them and it's like with Mm -hmm. when you're in relationships with those kind of people like it never starts out that way you know like it starts out of course wonderful it starts out as a freaking destination wedding in hawaii (laughs) and then ends with you running a paint yeah a paint off in a courtroom like (laughs) and it's just crazy how it's like people can like suck other people in you know yeah and just like how important it is to have like a partner like we talked about this in the couple one too but like have a partner partner that's willing to support Mm -hmm. you in like your aspirations goals and talents and like help boost you up and not like take credit for your work and like lock you in a room and like (laughs) try to threaten to kill you and all this stuff like you think that that was obvious but (laughs) apparently not yeah and it's just like I don't know it's just so sad to think about that that like how important it is to develop your own personal identity mm-hmm. um, so that you don't get so taken advantage of that easily. Yeah. But hey, she triumphed. She did. End. I feel like this is a good example of like karma working itself out. Yeah. Thank heavens. I know. Where she got credit, she's obviously made money, and now she's just a happy old lady who gets to paint every day with her daughter and ended up having a very nice, healthy Which marriage. Which I mean come on that sounds pretty wonderful doesn't yeah, it for real <laughs> no it ended really good and man what an insane story though <laughs> i can't even imagine like having to tell your children and grandchildren that where you're like oh yeah like you lock me in the room for 16 hours and i had to paint and then you know and then my life's been made into a movie because of how crazy my, my awful ex-husband <laughs> <laughs> like oh okay <laughs> Okay, Grandma. Well, yeah, there's the crazy story of Margaret Keene and her stupid mm-hmm. husband or ex-husband. And a reminder to everyone to take credit for your work. Yep. Even if you're benefiting from the success of your work. You still deserve the you credit. You still deserve the credit. Even if it meant that it wouldn't have been as popular or mass-produced, she still deserved to have the credit for yeah. it. Yeah. absolutely which i'm sure is probably why because he's like well without me it wouldn't have sold which is like yeah maybe but it's still not right what you did (laughs) it's so tough i'm sure there was so much brainwashing and manipulation and controlling that happened that like wasn't even depicted in the movie or that she can't even talk about because like in an abusive relationship like that when they have that much control over you i can only imagine like the kind of things that he would say and tell her that I'm sure she'd start to believe yeah. without much isolation. and Well, that's kind of what, because the fact the that only like, she one. was so isolated even from her daughter, like I feel like that's what mm-hmm. people like that will do. Like they will make it so you don't feel close to anyone in your life anymore. And so then it's like, that's the only person yeah. you have. He wouldn't even let her like love a dog. Yeah, like, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, 
Like lowest of the low, he was not willing to have let her have any joy or happiness from any relationship. She was only allowed to like have any communication that was open with him, and that was mm-hmm. it. Like, it's just awful. Yeah, it is awful. Ugh. I almost like I'm like I wish he could have just like gone to jail, but it's okay. <laughs> At least she ended up happy, and that's I all know. that matters. I feel like it could have been. I guess if maybe she would have asked for it or something. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a whole level of complicated because she was his spouse at the time too. Yeah, true. And it was like the 50s and 60s. <laughs> yeah. At least we're in 2020. I mean, 2021 now. Yeah, thank heavens. Life is better. We have more rights. If you're ever sitting there thinking you were born in the wrong time period and you wish you could be in the 50s and 60s, then you can look back on this movie and remember that it wasn't so great for women back yeah. then. <laughs> and, like, we're probably a lot better off. So, so better 2021 than 1950s, probably. Always. Always, always, always. always. <laughs> cool. Well, hope everyone enjoyed this fun little bonus episode of another story and I promise we have like good examples <laughs> of artistic couples coming so don't lose your faith in humanity yet. No, not yet. But man, these are great stories just to like get angry just for the fun of it. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. And there's so many of them like I'm sure of both yeah, like of good and bad that we could dive into. The bad ones are just really crazy and kind of fun to read and learn about. So hope you enjoyed this little bonus episode. Hopefully it was a little bit fun for you. And and go watch the movie. You will not regret it. It's very good. Yes, definitely. Go rent it on Amazon Prime or somewhere else or whatever you want to find it. It's amazing. Would definitely recommend. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And we will Mm -hmm. talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.